Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm Jameson Coughlin, editor of LNG Insight, which provides subscribers with North American LNG news and pricing, plus key European and Asian fundamentals. Today, I'm joined by Paul Sissio, president and CEO of the Industrial Energy Consumers of America. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Today, we're going to talk about the relationship between growing LNG exports and rising U.S. natural gas prices and what this means for U.S. manufacturers. So I took a look at the numbers ahead of the show today, and Henry Hub prices averaged less than $4 last year. And so far in 2022, they've averaged more than $6. And of course, this episode is is sort of necessary today because in the weeks before an explosion at Freeport LNG knocked the terminal offline, Henry Hub, uh, you know, hit a 13-year high and was testing the $10 barrier. And so once, once Freeport went down, prices tumbled quite a bit without demand from the facility. Now, in the U.S., we've gone from no LNG exports from the lower 48 states to roughly 13 billion cubic feet of export capacity in the last six years, or about 10% of, of U.S. demand. So I don't think there's you know, any doubt this has made things a little more volatile for the U.S. gas market. But, you know, before we go any further, Paul, can you just tell us a little bit about your organization, who you represent, and why rising gas prices matter? Yeah, hey, thanks. The uh, IECA is a nonprofit organization in Washington, D.C., and uh, where we uh, represent exclusively manufacturing companies. And the vast majority of these companies are classified as energy-intensive trade exposed, which means you know, they are the largest of the energy-consuming companies in the United States for natural gas and for electricity. What that means is their competitiveness is dependent upon the price and the reliability of natural gas. So we are an organization that only focuses on energy. And that makes us unique in Washington, D.C., both working on legislation and, and regulation. How we're, how we're impacted is that, obviously, natural gas is, is a fuel. It's a, feed, it's a feedstock. And we are very electricity-dependent. And natural gas fires 38% of uh, power generation. But natural gas power generation sets the price for the majority of the prices of electricity in the country. So that's why it's important. Okay. Okay. And just to be clear, you've, you've, you've got quite a few facilities, I guess, that, that are, that are represented among your members, something like 11,000 or more than that. Is, is that right? Oh, oh yes. We, I think the numbers now we're going to be updating that we're close to around 15,000 manufacturing locations across the country. Okay. Okay. So that that gives us an idea of the scope here. So so clearly, then uh, higher prices, in your view, hurts the competitiveness of of U.S. industry. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, something that uh, I know your listeners are probably going to be interested in how we're impacted. Uh, Manufacturers have to price the products that they sell to their customers. And often these are on contracts. And so annually when they do their, they, they have to budget in terms of what is the cost of energy that they price their finished products to their customers, sometimes for even a a period of a year. And so whenever we have fixed, we, we assume a certain price for natural gas or electricity in that product price, and then prices goes up substantially, that means that these manufacturers can lose money on every everything they sell. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think it's important to note that, you know, U.S. gas prices have been pretty stable in recent years, but they have certainly ticked up here over the last year or so. I mean, so I think that that's something that your membership has to be noticing, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. We are in a new era. We've moved from a wonderful era of abundant, uh, relatively low cost, and very reliable uh, energy to now a highly uncertain, high volatile prices for natural gas and electricity. And and I say it's, it's not just price, but it's also reliability is at stake. Okay. Okay. That's actually a good segue for for what I wanted to throw at you next here. You know, we've seen dozens of applications to export U.S. natural gas. You know, there's no doubt right now that LNG exports will grow. Golden Pass is under construction. Calcasieu is ramping up. And, you know, other other export projects have reached FIT more recently. You feel as though this is unsustainable, right? So what's your organization's strategy to sort of slow slow down exports well let's uh, well start with this it, it's important for the audience to know that IECA's position has always been that we're not against LNG exports we are against excessive exports that threaten reliability of natural gas and power in the United States and that has significant implications, not only for economic security, but also national security. And when these, when, when those, when it's out of balance, when it's excessive, which is where we're, we are and headed. And when there, one of the things I'd like to talk about is how the natural gas market has changed such that we do need policies to address LNG that is currently different than we have today. So is it um, sustainable? Well, the problem we have is that, I mean, we've got plenty of gas in the ground, right? I think everybody can agree on that. The market has historically, uh, this U.S. natural gas market has been the best market in the world. It's the biggest and it's transparent. The buyers and sellers do not have market power over one another. It's been great ever since we've deregulated natural gas. But that's all changed. It's not that way anymore. The market has changed. And this is why we are asking for changes to policies to adjust for things. Now, in the, what I just described is the markets worked great because market forces played supply and demand, and it worked. But now enter politics, federal intervention, 
policies, state interventions, and groups that stop fossil fuel investment and pipelines. All of a sudden now, you have injected uncertainties that are not market uncertainties that have, and then add on top of that, this new huge volume of gas that's exporting. And we can talk about how, now, you know, they have market power, but that is why we need to, to have a set of policies that protect, that places a priority first on the domestic market. And when we have excess natural gas, a surplus, by all means, export it. But we should not be sacrificing economic and national security and putting the domestic consumer first. Currently, the DOE policy in place is an export policy, an LNG export policy. And it ignores the, this issue of reliability and the differences of natural gas than other products in the United States. Okay, yeah. And, you know, we we recently did a story on this at NGI that appeared in, in some of our newsletters. And you recently told my, my colleague that the organization has drawn, you know, a line in the sand and that, you know, you guys intend to intervene in any regulatory request for an extension or expansion of LNG exports. I, I was going to ask, you know, whether or not you expect this to yield any results, but it, but it sounds to me like maybe the federal government, from your perspective, should reconsider how these export projects are being approved. Well, yeah. Well, there's a, just a cadre. We can spend a whole too much of the time on this, but let's step back and we have the policy that is the probably most important that we are promoting, Jameson, is that we must always make sure that the U.S. has adequate inventory to take care of the domestic market. What we saw last winter is that inventories got very low, 17, 17.5% below what the five-year average. Mm -hmm. And because there was inadequate inventories and there was more demand than there was supply. I mean, EIA said we were 14.9 BCF a day, more demand than supply. My gosh, no wonder prices went up. And so when you have exports when and do not have a surplus, that equals higher prices and reliability problems. And so what we have promoted to the Department of Energy is that we they need to put in place a, an inventory policy. We're calling it the consumer protection policy that assures that we always have a five-year inventory of natural gas. And in the event that the inventory falls below 5, 5% below the five-year inventory, then the DOE needs to take action to slowly reduce LNG exports such that those inventories return to the five-year level, always assuring reliability of natural gas and electricity to the domestic market, securing economic and national security interests. Okay. Okay. And that's kind of what I was getting at there. I just, I wanted to, to kind of clarify maybe some of the policies that, uh, you know, your organization was advancing. And, and these are things that you guys have been working on for, for years, right? This is not something that was just, just cropped up for you yesterday. I want to be clear on that too. 
Yeah, that, that's true. Now, that, that's one policy. Now, now, and that is that is should be the priority. I mean, we ha- the problem, the challenge, the reality is that we are very sensitive to the international issue, the crisis with Russia and Ukraine, and we need to support our NATO allies. And so we recognize that there's a, the politics of this of changing the rules of the road for LNG exports via visa, the natural gas act, public interest is a challenge, but that they do need to address it. It is broken. As I've already said, it address, it, it is a export policy rather than as the natural gas act passed by Congress is designed to protect the domestic public interest. And it's not doing that. Okay. So, all right, let's, let's switch gears here a little bit and, and maybe talk about some other ideas related to the topic here. I think it's clear that, you know, the United States is more tied to global gas markets than it, than it ever has been. You know, obviously what happens in Europe or Asia with supply and demand matters more these days than it did, you know, 10 years ago. But we've got a big mature gas market in the U.S. And there are other things like production, storage inventories, and weather that, that matter just as much to price swings. And you had sort of touched on this earlier, but right now, you know, storage levels are below the five-year average and gas production is not as strong as it has been in the past. So, I mean, have you, have you considered advocating for more natural gas production to, to help lower prices or is that, or is that sort of tough to do? No, no. As a matter of fact, we 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 stand up and support increased production more than any other manufacturing trade association in the country. We are always on record supporting production. That is the the bedrock of reliability. Okay, yeah, that makes that makes sense considering you know how energy intensive uh, your 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 members are. I think too that the oil and gas industry has been a bit critical of the idea that that exports are really doing, you know, a lot to push up prices, and they've made a number of arguments against that idea. And I have to touch on this; it's a hot topic right now. But one of those arguments is the role that gas has in displacing dirtier fossil fuels overseas like coal in places like Asia and the climate benefits that it can have. So, I mean, what's your response to that when, when you hear those sorts of arguments and you're, you're arguing yourself for reliability here at home? Well, most certainly there is a possibility that the LNG in distant countries like Asia, especially not Europe, but um, Asia, can or may be displacing coal. I mean, that's that's an accepted fact. We would not argue that. But that's a residual issue, a residual, I mean, you can put that on the benefit side of, of exporting, but when you weigh that against possibly us not having sufficient inventory, sufficient gas for reliability for domestically this winter, okay, it pales as an argument. Yeah, I, I think you, you you can maybe see at some point that there has to be a fear, you know, among your members that, you know, prices in the U.S. are going to get as high as they have been in, you know, Europe and Asia. Maybe not as high, but 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 come close, right? I mean, I'm sure that yeah, that's yeah, been yeah. discussed. Well, in fact, if, if it's okay, I, I know that I want to be sure we have in this very short interview, uh, we talk about pipelines because – 
uh, we have, as I said, we have lots of gas in the ground, mm-hmm. but we do not have enough pipelines. Pipelines are not keeping up with the export demand. And one of the challenges, one of the problems that we've identified is that LNG terminals are have locked up and are locking up more with every time they get a new terminal. Long-term pipeline capacity is being locked up for export rather than being available for the domestic market. And that is a deep, deep problem. Now, IECA intervenes all the time in support of pipeline expansions. That's another thing we do. But DOE has never considered the pipeline. Is pipeline capacity available to allow for exports without impacting the domestic market? And as an example, on Transco, I mean, Zone 5 right now, I've got companies paying $15 for their their natural gas. Why? Because there's inadequate pipeline capacity. And this is, the, this is a growing problem regionally in the country. Manufacturing on Transco have wanted to expand and cannot because there is inadequate pipeline capacity. And as we export more and these pipeline and the existing pipeline capacity is locked up for, for long periods of time for export, not domestic, that is a growing problem. Right. And that's a, that is a thorny issue. And I think that there's a lot of stakeholders involved in that. I mean, not only do you have more baseload demand from facilities that export gas, but you've had a lot of regulatory setbacks, too, and an inability to get more more pipelines built. So, but to hear you say it, you're, you're intervening on behalf of these pipeline projects so that your members can get the gas that they need. In support of, you bet, you bet. And, you know, uh, kind of, I'm going to circle back to one of my early comments. I said that this was the greatest market in the world. Now, because we have politics that are making firm, making it hard to build pipelines. And the Biden administration specifically did a lot to to not have drilling on federal lands and waters and to strongly discourage investment in fossil energy you know and all of these things combined and more and plus the you know the those who don't want fossil investments with lawsuits to stop and slow if it was a perfect world like it was for so many years we would be less concerned about LNG exports but given all of these political barriers to pipelines and production, the market is not working like it used to be. And that is why we need to put these policies that we are suggesting in place to protect the domestic consumer and reliability. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And certainly as things get more complex, I, I think it's, it's worth having conversations like these and, and hearing these sorts of viewpoints. So I guess the last question I'd have then on that note is, have you guys had a chance to talk with anyone in the oil and gas industry about these issues? Have you had any dialogue with them uh, about about these concerns? Uh, no, we have not. I suspect that would be, I'd be welcome to do them that. But um, they have drawn a very hard line in the sand. And as we have. Now, but I will say, uh, Jameson, if there is one policy that we are promoting, that they 
should be able to support is that very simple one I just talked about earlier to, on this call, an inventory policy. Assuring that we have a five-year inventory is in their best interest too. Once we get to the five-year inventory, helping maintain that, the U.S. market, the U.S. customer should be first, not second. The other, the other part of this is that, that I haven't said is what LNG exports do is it creates, they have market power. They have market power over domestic consumers. Because these are foreign countries, they are, or natural gas or electric utilities, they have automatic cost pass-through and they are controlled by their governments. They can buy gas from the U.S. They can buy gas away from the domestic consumer during the dead of winter when we need that gas. It is a, it's why it's a different market now with LNG than it has been in the past. And the government policies need to adjust for these things. Okay. All right. Fair enough, Paul. And, you know, hopefully somebody in the industry is listening and uh, the conversation can continue. But I think that's a good place for us to stop. That's it for today. Thanks again for joining us, Paul. We, we really appreciated having you for today's episode. Uh, hey, thanks for the invite. Take care. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.